0: Welcome to Rep Chats, the podcast of Nashville Repertory Theater. I'm your host, Micah Shane Brewer, and uh, the artistic director of Nashville Rep. And we have an exciting podcast for you today. You guys, I had a chance to chat with musical theater composer Janine Tesori, and to speak about Violet and her work. And I am so excited to share this conversation with you. Uh, Janine Tesori is no stranger to musical theater. If you have been around, you know some of the shows that she has composed, including Shrek, Fun Home, Thoroughly Modern Millie, and Violet, which we are talking about today. Uh, It's it's always uh, exciting and Uh, invigorating to speak with someone of her caliber and talk about the creative process. And so um, without further ado, here is my conversation with Janine. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to have with me today Janine Tesori. Janine has written a diverse catalog of Broadway, opera, film, and television, and she's composed some of the most beloved and critically acclaimed musicals of our time, including Fun Home, Soft Power, Carolina Change, Shrek, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Violet, and currently playing on Broadway, the wonderful Kimberly Akimbo. Welcome to the podcast, Janine. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. How are you today?
1: I'm very well. I just got back from London, so I'm not quite myself. But um, I I was only there for four days, so I tried to keep to a uh, um, you know an Eastern uh, time zone. But woof,
0: <laughs> traveling will take it out of you. Well, I appreciate you taking time to speak with us. We are working on Violet right now, and we are we are thrilled to be producing this beautiful musical. And we're going to talk a little bit about Violet here in just a moment. But first of all, I would love to start with your background. I read that you studied piano as a child and you were a pre-med major before becoming a music major. Is that correct? That is right. I started
1: playing the piano around three. Um, I studied very seriously from age six to 14 or 15. I took a break um, and uh, then I came back to it when I was around 17 or 18, my first year of college. Um, And I was on like I was studying science at the, the time and I had no desire because I'd given up music. I had really know pl- no path. And, um, you know, being in New York City the, in the 80s, I, I music sort of found me again.
0: So what made you want to compose music and specifically what made you want to write for musical theater?
1: I didn't really want to write for musical theater. I had never planned on it. I was a rhythm pianist, and um, I, I wasn't even a show pianist. I didn't know about shows at all. I didn't even see a musical proper until I was around 18. Um, it was never on my radar. I played sports when I was a kid. I was a real tomboy, and uh, you know, I loved I loved science. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a nurse, and so I, I sort of, it, it, was, it it's funny how it has really helped me, the idea of, of, of the science of storytelling has really helped me a lot. But my love of music came from a very different, a different place. And then I, I really discovered how much I loved studying the different storytelling uh, methods of a lot of cultures. So they, it all came together for me that way. Then in my second year of school, I started um, playing gigs around New York City and started conducting, assistant conducting, playing dance classes, you know, it's like a Stephen Sondheim musical and and, uh, graduated with a degree in music and just really started playing piano everywhere that I could, learned how to do things in the pit. When I was 24, I met my mentor, Burl Red, who was from Arkansas. and also um, really well established in Nashville. So a great part of my education actually happened in Nashville. I I started working there at 24. I I worked for about 15 years going down there many times a year to record and produce, uh, working with the symphony and with many, many studio players. So I learned a ton. In fact, the first time that anything from Violet was played we just did some number charts for the 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 guys we worked with and we played down some stuff in Nashville
0: wow so the first time Violet was played was here in Nashville
1: yeah but um, Harold Bradley just called his friends and Bob Moore played and Harold Bradley and some of the guys and we we just jammed a little bit when I say we you know it it was because I I I came into really myself as a musician from recording and mixing the the players I met in Nashville
0: so how did you get into recording recording music I mean that's a totally different beast than, than than composing and conducting
1: it is and it's not it's funny I learned so much you know as I said I was very young and and Burl, who had studied at Baylor and Yale and and was a real fixture in the dip back in the day in Nashville uh, and he put me in, in, in a board and, um, you know, we, we, we talked about the way that recording something and learning from those guys who had played so many sessions for Patsy Cline and, and Elvis and the way they would do 10 to 1, 2 to 5, 7 to 10, day after day after day. And I remember Harold Bradley showing me his old diary of all of the sessions he had played in and his brother, of course, Owen and Connie at ASCAP and the, that sort of royal family there. And, and it made me think about music in a completely different way. We did a lot of work with the symphony, but we did so much rhythm work and hearing the give and take from players who would just read you know, an index card. Of, it's like, oh, it's 11, 11.45 turnaround and then you take it and then I'll take it. And, it, it influences me as you can hear to this day about the way that when I orchestrate or I'm doing something, I'm thinking about panning. So I tend to produce my own cast albums with all of the techniques I learned from um, working in Nashville.
0: Mm, wow. So Violet was your first musical, correct? Yes. How I, did, I, I, I
1: put one right before that, but it was, I, it was before I quite knew what I was doing.
0: Uh-huh. And I, I believe I heard it was called Galileo. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk about Violet because that's why we're we're chatting today. How did the idea of Violet come to be for you as a composer?
1: You know, I was in I, I grew up playing in the pit. So I started playing in the pit when I was nineteen. and I you know any any keyboard part. And so I really learned the pit is the um, pit players are amazing. And it's sort of in a way like the mailroom in that you everything goes through there first. And you, I learned so much about the mechanics of musicals, but I had no intention of ever writing them. I wrote dance music and I had inadvertently written things my whole life. I wrote the varsity show when I was at Columbia. And that was just something I did. I didn't think you could make a living at it. I'm not sure you, you can still, but that it, I was just, oh, I hear things and then I write them down. Is that writing? You know, it didn't even occur to me. I didn't grow up with that. So, I, and I'd never seen women in forget even playing, composing or conducting. I'd never even seen them playing piano professionally. So it was my, my awakening to music came at um, meeting a lot of women in music in New York City at the time and uh, I, so the story I, I saw of a, a short film on Showtime. They used to play f- films in between programming, and it was this beautiful uh, small film with Didi Khan. Um, it was written, I think, it was done as a dissertation. It's still available somewhere, and it had always hit me in the back of my mind. I didn't know why, uh, but it always stayed with me. And then I. I remember telling Burl about it and we found the short story. And and then there was a a time in um, New York where I had just sort of gotten tired of making other people's work. And I think it's always a really helpful point when you hit the ceiling of what you're doing and you want to do something else. And I remember that story And we flew down to North Carolina and we met uh, with um, Doris Betts. Um, She did. She wasn't, I will say it politely, she wasn't fond of musicals. But we sort of made her a deal. I just said, I need to, to write this. I've already written a couple of songs with it with Brian Crawley, the, the wonderful librettist and lyricist. And um, if you don't like what we do, I'll give you the rights back. And um, she graciously agreed to that, uh, was there at our opening night in, in New York. And we just sort of went off and and tried to write something.
0: You know, what I appreciate about the score of Violet is the, the, the musical landscape, uh, how it changes along the journey. You know, Can can you talk about the different styles of the musical numbers in the show? Was it a, a, a conscious decision to, to write with the different settings of the show in mind? And how, how do you come up with what a show sounds like?
1: Such a great question. And it's actually a mysterious answer because I don't quite know. It's not something I can really describe when I sit with uh, characters in a show long enough, they begin to. Um, I've tried to describe it to someone almost like the Queen's Gambit when she stares at the ceiling and the chess player, the chess moves start happening. That is what it's the closest thing I've ever seen to how a, a score begins to speak to me about the world that it would be and the way that it moves, the rhythm of it, what they would be listening to, the period, the time in which the story takes place. I had spent, by the time I wrote Violet, I had spent so much time in Nashville and Memphis. And then I ended up driving that a, a lot of the, um, the roads to, to Tulsa and, and a lot of that path we did and took photos and um, talked with so many musicians and sat at so many barbecues. And I went to healings, I went to snake handlers. I sat on the laying of hands for uh, things that will to this day were so remarkable, because I was coming down as this northerner, and I have a deep love of the musical traditions of the South, because I just do. And 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 the you know they're 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 to me especially the um, instruments that the, the sort of carry instruments the mountain dulcimer and all the fiddlers and I, I have a, a I learned so much from them. So um, I wanted to really right honoring my version of what that story would be like. So I just let the, the, the,
0: um, the story really speak to me. Mm, That's lovely. I, you know, I I guess the, the, the journey along the way just informed what this piece would be for you, I guess.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it and um, I even, I mean, it's a pretty well-known story in the, the seven people who sort of really care about it. But I went to a lighthouse to really write this and, and, and come up with what I had learned with all the players I had met down South. Um, and, you know, most of my relatives, they live in Huntsville and Jacksonville, um, Asheville and um, Shreveport. So I've spent a lot of time down there because half my family is um, is lived there. And so I I wanted to understand how theater and the, those kinds of traditions could meet.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so Violet was in uh, 1997, uh, premiered at Playwrights Horizons off-Broadway, but it didn't make it to Broadway until 2014. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So uh, talk to me about, were there any changes that were made over the years, like when you, when you brought it back to Broadway, were, were there things that you, you changed with the, the music or the script, things that, that didn't work at the beginning that you decided you wanted to, to try to play with?
1: We played with the act break. We played with, there were certain things. It's turned out, the more that I know, the beauty of Violet, I think, is I did not know that much about musicals. I learned how to write a musical as I was writing Violet with Brian. And, and the, the difficulty with something like Violet, which I, I learned as we were going to Broadway is when you talk about a protagonist and someone who takes action and is changed, you also have to talk about the antagonist and what's pressing against her change. And that's the difficult thing about, about something like um, Violet, which is you could look at it like uh, the Wizard of Oz without the Wicked Witch. Um, the the antagonism and the antagonist is the way that we look and define beauty, and the way that we make decisions about people based on what we what they meet us with, what the what the world has already decided before we utter a world a, a word. And I was very interested in that point, particularly of of young women growing up about the way that they take. The, the trauma of what you know her father loved her very much and because of an accident um, completely changed her life, but the way that that we wear our trauma for the world to see even even when it's nobody can see it, it's still there as if it was you know it,
0: that it was very clear um, for all to to know mm-hmm. well, when you are thinking about what you're gonna write. When you're searching for material, how do you know when material is good for a musical? Is there a, a magic um, element? Is there something that kind of, uh, is that a light bulb that goes off for you? You just said it. It's a
1: kind of light bulb. I would say it's more like a, um, that that sound that ET makes when his fin- the red finger goes mum, mum, mum. Um. There's a humming for me that happens over the years that I've discovered. and. And the other way I would say is music, there has to be room for music. I've looked at so many stories and it's not about being right or wrong because I, would, I can imagine that someone else will look at a story and decide it's right and do a really great job with it. But for me, this, the, there has to be a lot of room for music to express an internal life or something that is happening because somebody wants something and there's a problem with them getting it. And so they, they sing out of that yearning or they sing out of that joy or they, the world sings. And I feel like uh, for that to happen, it means the story itself isn't yet complete without the addition of music.
0: Yeah. So you collaborate with a lot of playwrights uh, as, as your librettist and your, and your book writer. I'm always fascinated by the artistic process of writing. So when you're when you're collaborating and you're working on a piece, do you have certain habits that you do on every show or does it evolve with each partner? How do you how do you collaborate with a writer? We do
1: a lot like we drink a lot of coffee and a lot of whiskey and <laughs> a lot of those things happen um, I, the closest thing I can I can Liken it to is parenting. So you're writing something with someone, and it's going to end up looking like the both of you, but it's not you. Mm. And you're going to look at it, and eventually, it's going to grow old enough so that it can tell you what it needs. This show starts telling you what it needs, and the job is to listen. So part of it is making a hospitable place for for a, a, a story to grow. You have to i think really get in there and understand structure i've studied so many pieces and of all different kinds not just musicals because i think that that as a, as in a scholarly way is too limiting you know opera and tons of world music and the way that story works and and the rules and breaking the rules and what even are the rules and uh You know, something that it's like. So there's so many things that have to be decided upon what part of you is is going to be in this piece. Why are you writing it? What is it? Why is it necessary now? How does it hit the time that it's in? Because you start a musical and it's never going to be seen until like four or five years later. It's going to be seen. So you're hoping the world will meet it.
0: Mm-hmm. when it's
1: ready to be seen and it's, and it's made. So there's so much conversation that happens before we even start blocking it out. Um, and then, and then you keep going zeroing in and and coming out and zeroing in on, on the, as the show progresses.
0: Have you ever got to a show like, like when you're preparing to, uh, to, to uh, for a Broadway debut of, of a show and realize that, uh, it's not working the way you intended two or three years ago. Have you ever had that experience?
1: I don't know if I've had that experience because you don't really, there are very few shows that open. You get them more right now, I think because we're in a COVID moment or if there's a show that's too expensive to go out of town. But I would I would never open a show cold on Broadway. I don't have the nerve to do it because I'm amazed at You know, the audience is your final scene partner and they're gonna tell you things that you had no idea that you didn't know. And it doesn't matter where you are. Of course, cultures get certain things. Um, Just coming back from from London, they'll understand things that we don't understand because of the culture. But an audience is just, they're gonna tell you what works. And I need them uh, with my collaborators to understand what changes need to be made um, because they're the final scene partner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. um, what I love about your scores, if I may for just a moment, is the diversity in your writing. I no two scores sound alike. And I think that's just the most amazing thing for a composer is that you, you are able to uh, craft the storytelling of music in a way that doesn't sound like another show. Do you ever find yourself struggling to find the sound of a certain show? I
1: don't think I'd take a show on if I don't know what that sound is. Part of the decision to say yes to it is to know that I feel like I can do it, that I feel like I should do it, and that I have it in my uh, sort of in my imagination of what it what it sh- what the sonic world is going to be. You know, when we look at someone like um, Meryl Streep and and all she disappears I got to work with her a couple of times and she just disappears into these characters she's still her and not her and I feel as at, at, at sort of my northern star about disappearing into the worlds of these characters so that I they're the ones who are writing it in a way not me.
0: When you go back and revisit your work, specifically Violet, do, do you ever look at the show through a different lens? Does the the meaning of the show, or does does anything change for you when you go back to revisit a show like that?
1: I I don't really listen to the shows that I've I've done because I I find it really um, I feel so vulnerable when I'm hear things that that, that I've done. It was fascinating, I will say, because Violet, when it opened in New York, was an extremely painful uh, situation for me and Brian. It opened off Broadway, and there had been so much buzz about maybe we would move, and we just didn't. You know, it, it just wasn't one of those fairy tale endings for us. And um, I was pregnant, and and Brian's wife was pregnant. It was there was so much change happening, and it turned out that it, it went on the course that it was supposed to go on. It wasn't the, the, the way that I thought it was going to go, which was also a great lesson. So by the time that we did it as it was supposed to be a one night concert with Sutton Foster, because I was the artistic director for something called Op Center at City Center, taking off Broadway shows or smaller shows and, and revisiting them like an encore's method, you know, that that template. and. She started doing it and I thought, oh wow, this show. You know, I hadn't thought about it in so long. And here we are 17 years later. And and we got it, we got to do, we changed very little about it um, when Brian and I revisited it, but it really had a great impact then and ran on Broadway for um unlimited time at the roundabout.
0: I'm curious, uh, in, in the original score, uh, the the song You're Different. It's replaced with The Last Time I Came to Memphis. Can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to change that song?
1: You know, there are some song moments that I feel like I, as a composer, chase and chase and never quite get. That's one. And I think the reason why you're different always made me nuts is not because the song isn't good. I think that it's a good song. Um, but it doesn't, it, it felt too pat to me. It's just one, again, it was, it was it's such an early stage for me as a theatrical composer, and I feel like you're he's saying you're different. It's like and and so uh, it, it it obviously dislodges something in him that makes him want to stay. Um, but the rhythm of the song, a ballad coming after a ballad, always felt like it didn't it didn't do what we wanted it to. And I've come to also sometimes people will ask to do that song instead of the, the newer one. Um, I don't know how Brian feels about it. I'm also f- fine with it, but uh, I think the rhythm of the new song is welcome break mm-hmm. from the other one. Uh, and it's just char- character-wise, it feels much more like Monty than to suddenly be singing. It's, it's a pretty romantic ballad at that moment that I just didn't understand what would the truth of it. So it's one of those moments that's, that's a hard one.
0: Gotcha. I'm always fascinated when I speak with, with um, artists like you, uh, do you have any musical heroes? Do you have people that you looked up to as a young composer or people that you still look up to that you um, not try to emulate, but, but inspire you in your work?
1: Oh, well, I'm a keyboardist. So I had, you know, crazy. uh, I I was I was really mad for um, people like Billy Preston and Billy Joel and Elton John with the way that they played piano, uh, all, all of the uh, Carol King, anybody, any woman who played an instrument, um, Karen Carpenter. I watched Karen Carpenter when I was a kid behind the drums. I I could not believe what I was seeing. I think that that was a big deal. All of the musicians that I knew were from either R and B or or rock or pop people. I just didn't have any knowledge of any kind of show until I was eighteen, and then you know your world cracks open with what is that person doing and. Um, I interned at Playwrights Horizons when Steve was doing Sunday in the Park. They did Act One there. And that's why I, I interned, because I had discovered his work. And so I got to see that so many times. You know, in previews, you you, you just go and he's there was nobody really better. Uh, but there are, are so many people that I would look to in a, in a lot of ways uh, the ways that they would the the poetry that they had and and also the clarity of storytelling and the the dance of those two um Liz Suedos, Mickey Grant, um, you know, Kendra and Ebb. they just it, you can just name so many, but I discovered the whole world all at once. and mm-hmm. um, and that was that was the the crazy idea. I had to learn so much about theater because I hadn't grown up with it.
0: Well, to be in the room with Sondheim and Sunny in the Park at Playwrights Horizon, I can't. That's a different podcast for a different day. My God. Um, Wow. I I know recently that you have been uh, composing more opera. Uh, Do you have a different approach to the way that you write opera?
1: Uh, I do. I'm working on the last one. Um, the blue just opened at the a- English National Opera at the ENO. It's it's had many productions here. and um, was in Am- Amsterdam, and the, I'm doing the um, the final one here. That I'm, I'm halfway through. One of the main differences is um, in an opera you orchestrate because it's it, it, you it takes such a long time and um the composing continues with the orchestration that there are ways of thinking about story because the orchestra is so large that it it infiltrates that oh this moment is this so it's very different on broadway there are there are rarely sections unless you're doing something like a thoroughly modern millie where we had a great you know it was um uh, a, a, a great brass section and small string section but then but that's not the kind of orchestrator that that I am so that's very different and also the the pace of an opera is really different you can um, stay uh, one of the great lessons for me in in opera is to not go so fast the mm. rhythm you can you can express a musical idea and then almost exalt in it where in musicals, it's just like, go, 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 keep going, especially now. But in an opera, there is almost this this need to fill the giant space with musical ideas that can soar and stay and repeat and breathe. And uh, so that's really quite different, plus just the epic nature of the storytelling that matches the largeness. Like this opera I'm doing, there are going to be 50 male voices. And you just don't, that's not a world, a sonic world that we have in theater.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, do you have any advice for young composers wanting to write for the theater?
1: Uh, well, I would say the most important thing my mentor always said to me is talking about writing isn't writing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that is really important because writing tends to be a very, for me at least, really tedious, very trying and very lonely. and it's not a complaint, it's just a reality. We It's a desk job that is where you're in constant conversation with yourself. And um, I would I would say getting used to structuring your own time, being alone a lot is really important because the lifestyle itself, it's not just about, so many people are talented, but not everybody is well suited or well matched to the kind of life that you have to, I think lead as as a young composer. And the other thing is um, history for me is incredibly important to know about the legacy, about who you' you you sort of are um, in the, the lineage that you're writing like and to, to, to study, to go backwards in order to propel, forwards, I think, is incredibly important. And the other thing um, is, I would say, to study the world, because, you know, uh, musicals are really ostensibly in American form, um, coming out of operetta and vaudeville, and they are meant to entertain people, and entertainment just doesn't mean, you know, distraction. It means writing something that's compelling, I think, and holding people's attention and i do think at its best it reflects the world so if you don't know what's happening in the world i think it's very hard to know how to reflect the world on stage and even if it's silliness or if it's something tragedy or comic tragedy i think the more you know about what's going
0: on the better
1: the the writer you'll be
0: absolutely you're an investigator
1: yes i am an investigator i'm harriet the spy basically (laughs)
0: Well personally, I just want to thank you for writing some of my favorite shows uh, I will always remember the the moment of being in the theater for fun home and I will always remember the end of Kimberly akimbo and and I got to to be in Violet a few years ago playing the preacher and you have created some of the most beautiful moments in the theater for me and uh, I thank you for the gift that you've given to the world and I um and uh, to quote Sonham, give us more to see. I'm I'm looking forward to the next Janine story show. What what is next for you, if you can say?
1: I'm gonna write, um, uh, I'm gonna write something with David Lindsay Bear. Um, we can't talk about it yet because of the rights, but that's that is next for me. Grounded will be at the Kennedy Center in this fall, and then hopefully a year from there, um, if it if it continues, it will be at the Met. The the following fall. Wow.
0: Well, our best to you. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. We are so excited to share Violet with our theater audiences here in Nashville. And if you ever get back to Nashville, let us know.
1: I will. I, I was born in New York, but my heart is in Nashville. So
0: come um, anytime. And and Beth Ann Musiker sends her regards. Oh, yes. She's she we have been friends forever. She's she's a fantastic old lady and hotel hooker in, in Violet. So, um,
1: so you're welcome for that double.
0: <laughs> thank you. All okay. right. Have a wonderful day. And thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Oh, that was amazing to get a chance to speak with Janine Uh I, I'm, I have no words other than come see Violet playing May the 12th through the 21st at T-Pex Johnson Theater. You can get your tickets at nashvillerep.org. Head on over there right now and get your tickets before they're gone. Uh, I want to thank Janita Sori for joining us today, and uh, we'll see you next time on Rep Chats.